This podcast is a member of the Voices of Wrestling podcasting network. Visit VoicesOfWrestling.com to hear the rest of our great podcasts, as well as show reviews, columns, opinions, and updates across the world of wrestling. Thunder Buddies and Travellers Down Thunder Road. It's us, Days of Thunder, the WCW Thunder rewatch podcast that you didn't ask for, but we did anyway, coming to you as part of the Voices of Wrestling podcast network. I'm your host, your antibody on Thunder Road, the fully recovered Dave Ryan, and I am joined, as always, by my faithful co-host, Stagger Lee Malone. Lee, how are you this week? If you're the antibody, am I the virus? Yeah, I've always said that about you. <laughs> <laughs> the worst thing to happen to society. Yeah, inject this podcast with a lethal dose of poison. <laughs> I'm feeling better after that introduction. Yeah, <laughs> fired you up. It's made me happy. Yeah, nothing like a little yeah. little gentle burial to start the show. Yeah, yeah. Obviously, keep you on your toes. You oh, know, yeah. like an ego getting too big. Um, h- how have you been, pal? I'm good. Yeah, yeah. I mean, look, life is busy. All the usual stuff that I normally complain about, but look. I'm happy to be here, healthy-ish. The ba- yeah, the baby, within reason. The family are good, you know, I'm working. I got this podcast. I get to talk to you every, I don't know, 10 days, 14 days, yeah. whatever it is we end up doing. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Whatever weird schedule we're on now. Sometimes it's every two days. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's a weird one. We're trying to hit. We're trying to keep that consistency going when technical difficulties don't slide tackle us. Um, yeah, uh, I'm doing well as well, pal. I uh, like I said in the intro there. I'm I'm fully free now from COVID jail, um, which is great. I think I was just in the throes of it the first couple of days of it when we recorded last. No, that was when we first recorded. When we re-recorded, oh, yeah. you were on the outs nearly. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. Um, so I think yeah, the following, the following Monday, Monday of this week, mm. just gone as we're recording, um, is when I tested negative. So I've been kind of like, it's funny. I I don't have that. You know, you hear people who get the long COVID and they're like, um, oh, I can't climb a set of stairs without being exhausted. Mm-hmm. Like like I don't have that. Thank fuck. But I do have the thing where, like, do you know when you you have any dose, any sort of flu or or cold and you've been in bed for a while, that, like, going out and doing a big walk or whatever, you feel more tired than you normally would? Oh, yeah, 100%. Yeah, exactly what you mean. So, so like, the Monday I tested negative, I was like, right, fuck this. I'm I'm getting out and about. So I immediately, like, walked down the town to the cinema, which is, like, a 15-minute walk away, sat down for an hour and a half and walked back, and I just needed to go to bed. (laughs) And that had nothing got to do with the movie you had just seen. 
Well, I it was Morbius I went to see, so it did, didn't fucking help my condition anyway. Um, COVID was almost better than that movie was, to be honest. I mean, why why you would inflict that on yourself, I don't know. But. I it's just one of these things where when you, I I suppose look us hosting the WCW Thunder podcast, our tolerance level for pretty bad stuff is 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 reasonably high. Um, but there's that kind of perverse curiosity when you see everybody slating a movie. It's like I've I've fucking got to see this. You know, um, I I definitely have that in my head. I don't know if you have that. I mean, listen, we're gonna rewatch Ready's Rumble. Oh yes, we are. So, you know. Oh, that day is coming. Yeah, can't wait for that period in the I, timeline. Oh, actually, hey, since since we're talking about movies we've uh, seen recently, yeah. as I put it on the timeline, I recently watched King of Kong, the yeah story of Billy Mitchell. Yeah, King of Kong, A Fistful of Horrors, one of the, the great documentaries of our age. I mean, yeah. I went in thinking I knew what to expect. Oh. But my God, was <laughs> I mean, this documentary, my God. So you had absolutely no context the time that Billy Mitchell showed up in AEW? Oh, no, I knew who he was. I knew he was from this documentary, okay. but I didn't. Okay. I hadn't seen the documentary at this point. So, yeah. yeah, no, I knew of the documentary. I just never got around to watching yeah. it. Uh, Lee, I, like, I, we have deliberately not spoken to each other about this because I love this movie. Uh, I make all my friends watch this movie at a certain point. I um, I have done an extensive podcast reviewing this movie over on Link to the Cast. So I'm... I'm I, and I watch it probably near annually since I first saw it. Um, Please, Lee, give me your thoughts on what I view to be maybe the greatest pro wrestling documentary of all time. (laughs) (laughs) That isn't actually about pro wrestling at all. I mean, the the whole intro of building building this guy up as the king of arcade video gaming, and you know he's won all these awards, and then as the documentary goes on, you just realize it's these people have put this guy on a pedestal and just believed every word he's ever told them like mm. his his agent is a guy he met on a photo shoot that you know lied about his top score to be there yeah <laughs> it's just it, the cast of characters in this documentary are just so unbelievable yeah like he he's getting live scores of uh, Steve Steve Weeby Weeby yeah um playing donkey kong and like his sycophants ringing him telling him how many you know what his score is after one life after two lives it's just it's i thought i knew what to expect i thought it was just going to be like a straight shootout between these two guys it's so much better <laughs> no. than that no it's a whole angle like it's uh, he's genuinely one of the great villains of cinema billy mitchell um, so with his i i i yeah. didn't google um, anything that has happened since the documentary came out. So, oh. so the documentary came out in what, like twenty or two thousand six, two thousand seven ish. Yeah, yeah. Because I I discovered it in twenty ten. That's when I started watching. Okay, it. so the documentary ends on a very celebratory note with Steve Weeby actually getting like a one million and I think it's like five hundred thousand score or something like that. Yeah, yeah. Um, and it's like actually video. He has to prove on video and stuff. Which is yeah. great. That's that's the story. So, what has happened since then? So, uh, I know the, the ultimate ending point of it, but as far as I know, in the intervening years, 
they tic-tacked the record between them a couple of times and then kind of like the next generation of Donkey Kong players kind of came in and just shot clean past okay. them. So so neither one of them are top anymore. And then in something that you're definitely going to want to go out and start reading about is that a couple of years ago, I don't know exactly how long, um, Billy Mitchell was investigated and found to have been falsifying scores for years and all his scores have been taken off him now. I mean... You saw that video that's in the documentary. Yeah. That skips at a very... <laughs> a very convenient moment. It's like, it's so fake. <laughs> yeah. I will, That's what, when, when it happens in the documentary and then the referee guy, what's his name? Um, Walter Day. Walter Day. He's like, oh yeah. Uh, sorry, video game referee slash folk musician. Yes. Um, when he, I was like, oh, he, he's not going to accept this. Like, it's, very obviously been edited oh no it's yeah. just like oh no he sent billy sent it in it's it's legit yeah i was just i was flabbergasted i couldn't believe it yeah it was like it's a great story of like panto villain who has the whole system behind him versus the people's champ in steve weeby and the fact and the fact that by the end of like the, the two days where they're supposed to be actually in competition that even Walter yeah. is like, oh, Steve, you know, we, we kind of wanted you to win. <laughs> yeah. It's just like, oh, man, what, what, what a what, documentary. What did you think of the uh, the wardrobe of Billy Mitchell? I mean, Mr. Uh, I put USA on the scoreboard. Yeah. <laughs> Why? So people know I'm from America. I mean, come on. Yeah. Pointing out as it was, it is Statue of Liberty uh, toy, isn't yeah. it? And and every, yeah, everyone's like Statue of Liberty toy. Um, well, what what do you put up? And he's like holding the toy, and it's like NYC. It's like... Uh, <laughs> <laughs> oh. His his iron down hair. Yeah, oh, uh, the whole look. The trophy wife. <laughs> his hot sauce. Yeah. His, oh, yeah. Have you tasted his that hot sauce? A- no, I've never tasted his hot sauce. But even finding out he's a hot sauce magnate is brilliant. It's just another twist to the tale. Uh, I also I love Walter Day, the bit where he does the the guitar ballad uh, in the middle of the movie as like an interlude. Um, I love the tiny old woman who's like the world Cubert champion. She travels the world playing Cubert. <laughs> yeah. Oh, and then she died, unfortunately. Yeah, she died, sadly. Um, yeah, the whole thing with his little uh, lick arse mate that, ringing the scores into that, him that, and deliver, that could ne- delivering the tape. The guy that could never get over like 500,000 or something and gets all excited that Steve Weeby gets a kill screen. Yeah, yeah. Oh my God. It's it's just, it's the perfect documentary. It's so I, I can't recommend it highly enough. It's just, like I say, I thought I knew what to expect going in. <laughs> it fucking goes places, man. Ah, uh, just brilliant. Um, yeah, just great pro wrestling. Unfortunately, I have not had the time to watch something else that you recommended that I watched this week. Oh yeah, and maybe I, I'll I'll shout it out now, and some Thunder Buddies can either cajole you to watch it, or they can watch it before the next yes. podcast, and you'll have. I will. I will well. have definitely watched it by the time we record next. 
Uh, and that's Black Dynamite, which, as I said to you, I discovered that in the same week that I discovered King of Kong. And both movies had me nearly hospitalized laughing. Um, Black Dynamite, how can I describe this to you? Black Dynamite is like if if Airplane was a black exploitation film. Mm. Um, or like Gareth Marenghi or something like that, where it's like, it's deliberately a bad B movie, but it's, oh God, it's so fucking funny. And um, starring Michael Jai White, who is just incredible in it. Um, yeah, you're going to be, that, that's one of those movies where you're going to be pulling quotes out of that thing, laughing your ass off for years. Another movie I watch quite regularly. I love it so much. I actually, um, in the time we since we last recorded, I've started watching a new, an actual a Canadian TV show called Letter Letter oh. Kenny. I don't know if you've seen this on my timeline. I have I have heard of it, and it's one of those where I need to go and watch you need, it. You need I to go and watch yet. it. It's so quotable. Yeah. It's I I adore it. I've watched like five or six seasons. Mm. I'll tell you, those Canadians come out with a sneaky great show every now and then. I was a big Trailer Park Boys guy back in the day. Do you know what? Never got into it. I might give it a go though. It's really good. It's all on Netflix as well. Hmm. Um, that's really good. And I remember, God, w- w- do you remember way back in the day on Figure Four Daily? Like every time Lance Storm was on, he talked about some show called Corner Gas. I've never heard that now. I've I've never seen an episode of it in my life, but I've heard extensively about this show via Lance Storm, <laughs> just constantly putting it putting it over more than the sport of pro wrestling on Figure Four Dailies. Um, bizarre man. Um, I tell you, before we move on to to wrestling, I did um, um, as part of my celebration of freedom this week, I went to a gig for the first time since the the pandemic, which was great. Oh, who'd you go see? Uh, so I went up to Vicker Street in in Dublin, which is a great venue, well known venue, usually for comedy, but I've I've seen a a lot of bands mm-hmm. there as well in the day. Um, it started out, it's funny, so the week before, while I was still on lockdown from COVID, when I was kind of, it was just after we'd recorded the last show, so I was on the tail end of it, and I watched a documentary I'd been meaning to watch for a while, because it popped up on Netflix, called The Sparks Brothers, okay. which is about the two brothers, Russell and Ron Mayle, that made the band Sparks. Uh, if you don't know the name Sparks, you may know the song, This Town Ain't Big Enough for the Both of Us. Oh, yeah, yeah. yeah, so it's those guys. Um... And I watched this documentary, and the reason I really wanted to watch it, I was like, I, I, you know, I kind of like Sparks, but I never went out of my way to to listen to them. But the documentary was directed by Edgar Wright. Okay. Uh, he he of Shaun of the Dead mm. fame. And I was like, all right, I want to see this. And it was brilliant. And it really showed me, like, what a, what, like, underground legends these guys were. And, like, I was so into their music by the end of it that I was kind of like, they're getting on in years because they've been around since I think 1968. Jesus, I think is when they started like playing as like teenagers, and then like the 70s is when like they started putting out albums. I could be slightly off my timeline there, but they've been around for fucking ages. And uh, I was like, they're getting on in years, and I wonder is this going to be one of those things where if I don't go see them now, I'll regret it if they stop touring mm-hmm. or if one of them passes yeah. away or something. So I was like, right, I'll just check Ticketmaster and see if they're playing in Ireland anytime soon. Oh, they're playing in seven days and there's tickets available. <laughs> I was like, okay, this is destiny. That's one, yeah, that's one of them uh, meant to be things. 
Yeah. So I I went up to see them and I had an absolute blast. And it was one of those things where it made me miss because not only um, because of COVID, but, you know, because of other things in the pro wrestling world, I haven't been to wrestling live in over two years. So I haven't been to any real live event. Mm. Um, We went to one of those small pilot uh, outdoor gigs in the middle of one of the lockdowns. You know, when they had like, you could book four people together in a little pod, but no one was allowed to mix near each other. So I don't really count that that much. Um, So this is my first proper one. And and Sparks were kind of like, they they wanted everybody to wear masks during the gig anyway, even though we don't have to over here anymore. So that made me feel even more comfortable. Um. And yeah, it was just great. Just getting that live buzz off a crowd. Um, and just live music is the best thing in the world, man. <laughs> you know, it's just, oh, it's just so good. Everybody was happy. Everybody was dancing. It was just a, a lovely, lovely night. So I'm, I'm really glad to be back on the live event train after so fucking Yeah, no, I actually, last week, um, I booked tickets to go see Riverdance for the first time ever. Oh, I saw yeah. that on Twitter. Yeah, yeah. So t- turns out uh, it's actually the 25th anniversary of Riverdance. Oh, I was going to say, it is about that. Yeah, wow. Jesus, that makes me feel old. Boy. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> were, were, were you in it? <laughs> no, I just remember when it, like, when, it, when Riverdance when it fever yeah. struck the first yeah. time around. It was just you couldn't move for Riverdance around the place. And like every... Um, like every girl my age in primary school started doing Irish dancing classes. <laughs> you know, it was just the thing everyone wanted to do all of a sudden. Did, um, were, you, were you not made to do Irish dancing in school? No. Okay, we were up until like second class. So like the first four, oh. first four years of school. Oh, I can only imagine young Lee <laughs> doing his river I, dancing I say <laughs> doing his best flat <laughs> Well, to be fair, I outdate river dance by a good couple of years um, yeah but yeah no like we we had to do it like instead of like a pe class once a week we'd have irish dancing hmm. no no we got away with it um i don't know how how old were you when you found out that that michael flatley isn't irish oh i remember that being a thing very quickly oh i was probably like late teens <laughs> <laughs> I was like, he's what? Well, first of all, I thought he was from Cork, and that's not really Irish either. So, oh, yeah, I <laughs> sorry, I know he, I know he lit. Yeah, I know he lives in Cork. Yeah, he, he, he lived. In he Cork. had to, like the estate down in Cork, didn't he? Yeah, yeah. When you drive on the old road to Cork from Dublin, you'd see the uh, the ostentatious mansion on the hill uh, on the way down at a certain point. Um, but yeah. Uh, let, I tell you what, let's let's just make a hard left into pro wrestling here because you know <laughs> Michael Flatley, a legendary worker, <laughs> no selling anything above the waist, obviously. Fair enough. <laughs> um, hey, Mania Week just finished. Um, did you get to see much? Uh, what did you think? I saw um the ROH show. I saw. Pretty much most of Mania. Um, I haven't watched NXT. I didn't watch much independent stuff. I just didn't have time, unfortunately, over the weekend. What yeah. about yourself? What What did you watch? So, um, mostly the same stuff as you. Um, I saw all of Mania. I watched NXT. It was bad. Um, I kind of had that on in the background, and it bored me to fucking tears. Um, I watched like 
the AEW events that were happening mm. that week. I really liked Supercard of Honor a lot. Good show, yeah. Um, it was yeah, really really good show. Um, if you haven't seen Briscoe's FTR, oh, go watch. Yeah. Holy shit! Holy shit! What a tag match! Um, like it, it just an insane run FTR on at the moment in, in tags and in singles matches as well. You know, like in the last few weeks, Dax Harwood mm-hmm. has had like that singles match with Punk, and then he had this tag match and Supercard the, the of Honor, and then they had FTR yeah. books. Yeah, just oh, insane run, insane run. Um, so that was great. On the independent stuff, I watched like a little bit of Spring Break Part One, what? and I was kind of like, <laughs> I it was just it was it was on, okay, yeah, you know. Yeah. Um, and I was watching it, and it was kind of like. Do you remember when Spring Break had this real character about mm-hmm. it? And it just felt completely different to everything I, else. I, fe- I felt it, it lost that after the second year. It really feels now like just another GCW mm-hmm. show, particularly the first night. Like, I know the second night has the clusterfuck, which is the big kind of, like, comedy and gimmick match. Um, but the first night just felt like this could be any GCW show, by which I mean I largely didn't enjoy it. Um... I also watched... What else did I watch? I watched Bloodsport. Bloodsport ruled. Bloodsport always rules. Um, The the Mox and Biff match in particular was fucking spectacular. I will watch that at some stage. I just haven't got around to it yet. Yeah, watched a little bit of the Mark Hitchcock Memorial show. Um, I'm told that there's only a, like a couple of matches mm. on that that are worth looking out, but uh, I watched Speedball and Bandido, which was unreal. Uh, Speedball had one hell of a weekend. Um, yeah, you, like, ha- you had time like, I saw him pop up somewhere. You had like nine matches over the course of the weekend. Apparently, they were all yeah. brilliant. Absolutely killed it. That dude rules. Um, but do you know what? Funnily enough, I and I only like it was like right at the tail end of week after Mania week. Um, the the best match I might have or the most excited I might have been by a match uh, in the last couple of weeks was uh, John Moxley and Wheeler Utah on Rampage. Mm-hmm. I oh my god! Yeah, so I actually I had fallen asleep on the couch on Friday night, and I woke yeah. up at like two minutes to three, and I was like, "Fuck it, I'm putting on Rampage." <laughs> and my god what a fucking do you know what just a great hour of television first of all but um, yeah, yeah Moxley Yuta was just incredible I mean Tony Khan himself came out and said it like a fucking star making performance from from Yuta yeah, yeah. I, I'm a big fan of, of Yuta mm-hmm. you know I'm a I'm on the record as being a big Beyond fan Um, so I've known about Yuta for quite a while he's been one of my guys um, so it's great to see him get his due. Like I, I, I really liked his match winning the 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 pure title off uh, Josh Woods, Josh yeah, really Woods good match. on 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 Supercard of Honor, uh, and now it looks like he's going to be allied with the uh, with the, the Blackpool Combat mm-hmm. Club, which I'm down with. He had a great match with Danielson, and his series with with Mox now has been fantastic. Where he's he's lost every one, but he gets a bit more every yeah. time. And this time, motherfucker is kicking out a paradigm shift. Oh, oh, that that kick out killed. Oh, he lost it. They gave him the the Brett Austin sharpshooter mm-hmm. spot. You know, it was uh, just an immense, immense performance. The bit where he puts the bulldog choke on, on Mox, Mox yeah. 
or he starts doing the the Brian elbows to Brian or in the mocks mm-hmm. match he starts doing the kicks uh while he has uh, control of the wrists like oh my god uh what a dude love big utes and you know Moxley obviously just sold everything like a million bucks and his post match where he's just like I cannot believe what it took to put this fucker yeah, down the, I think I think it was awesome. Joel Anza here to say that like the look on his face did more. I know, you know who it was? It was Jamesy on Twitter. Uh, the, the look yeah. on Moxie's face um, did more to put over Yuda than just about anything else afterwards. Yeah, yeah. 100%. Just a phenomenal match. Short of um, FTR and the Briscoes, probably the best match I watched mm-hmm. over the, 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 the week or two For there. Sure. So, so much fucking wrestling. Uh, WrestleMania was all right as well. Like, you know, um, and there was definitely plenty of stuff to clown on. Um, but I thought night one was largely an enjoyable and watchable show. It was, it was good. Um, it was, you know, it yeah. wasn't, it wasn't the usual horrendous WWE fair you have to put up with. Yeah, uh, Becky and Bianca was phenomenal. I love that. Really that good match. Yeah, matches yeah. the weekend as well. Um. I I think it's directly proportionate how much you enjoyed Mania to how invested you are in WWE, by which I mean, if this was a thing I wanted to go on and keep watching WWE after this, I would be like, mm, some of these matches didn't do a lot for me. Um, mm-hmm. I'm not exactly thrilled about certain directions, but because I kind of just like dip in for things like WrestleMania now at this stage, I, I very much enjoyed night one. Night two was abysmal, I thought. Um, poorly timed fuck all wrestling Mm -hmm. and once again uh, Roman and Brock was shite yeah just awful Um, right guy won at least you know I I still as much as it would have been very funny in some ways uh, if if Brock won they at least booked the right guy to go over strong even though now he's killed absolutely everybody in the company yeah and the, the guy they just brought in to be you know I'm guessing a top star they kind of killed off the next night on Raw with just one of the worst promos you'll ever see yeah yeah that's uh, the other thing yeah the Codester is back um, and had uh, for my money a bit of a snooze fest with Seth but at least they did in his like return and his entrance at Mania he did come off like a big I, th- deal, I think so. at Mania he came off like a big star I thought the match was very good actually with Seth yeah. Um. Oh, yeah. I. I. I just kind of bored me. And then on Raw, they had him come out on what I can only <laughs> describe as one of the most pathetic-looking entrances. Oh, oh! That Kevin Dunn did not help him on that. And then his promo where he tried to manufacture tears at least three times. Yeah. Uh. Just yeah. There's the. The the Cody that his detractors say he is is the one that showed up on Monday. 100%. Whereas the Cody that Cody can mm-hmm. be when he's not overthinking things is who showed up Mania. on on yeah. Saturday. Um, and you and you know me like I, I've defended it. Cody in a couple of our group chats like where I've enjoyed Cody yeah. for the most part. And look, so, so have I as well. Do you know what I mean? I just this match, and I, I think it's probably as much down to Seth as anything because I'm so not into that guy. Um, that it just wasn't for me at all. Like mechanically, it was grand, mm-hmm. you know. But I just, I just You've wasn't, no investment in wasn't into it. All, yeah. 
No, no. And I have no faith that, like, well, I have faith that they think they're going to book Cody as a top mm-hmm. guy, but I have no faith that that actually, will actually yeah. be how it pans out, even if they're still trying. Like, I'm not saying they're going to drop it tomorrow, but I'm saying that even if they try, I still have no faith that they will succeed. D- because you- they also really tried for a while with Drew. That is true. Um, did, did you see um, Brody King had one of the best tweets of the weekend? Over WrestleMania weekend. What was it? So, you know the way Damien Priest aligned himself with Edge to yeah. be the, the new brood or whatever the fuck they're going to call them. Um, yeah. So WWE put up a, you know, a caption saying, you know, name this group. And Brody King replied with, when you order House of Black on Wish. <laughs> yeah, that's really good. Um... One, before we get into this episode of Thunder, uh, one little programming note for the the weeks ahead. So after this episode, we have one more Thunder before Uncensored 99. So we're going to do that run where we'll do this Thunder, the next Thunder, and then Uncensored. And then after that, we are going to do another episode of TRL, um, which is... Did we decide what that is already? Did we Wheel of Fate it? We have not Wheel of Fate it, but we will on the next show. Yes, okay, yeah. I, I know we were planning to on the show that got... Newt. Grinded yeah. through the... <laughs> yeah. So we'll, we'll do that on the... Will we do it on the go-home show? Yeah, we'll show do it on the go-home show. Uncensored? Yeah. Okay, cool. So on the next episode, we'll do our, our Wheel of Fate and discover what's next. Um. So yeah, just to let you know what the, what the plan for the next month or two is here on the program. This episode of Days of Thunder is brought to you by, you guessed it, HelloFresh. With HelloFresh, you get farm-fresh, pre-portioned ingredients and seasonal recipes delivered right to your doorstep. Skip trips to the grocery store and count on HelloFresh to make home cooking easy, fun, and affordable. That's why it's America's number one meal kit. Get farm-fresh, seasonal produce and easy-to-make recipes delivered right to your door every week. Ingredients travel from the farm to your doorstep in under a week, so they always arrive fresh, all without a trip to the grocery store or a farmer's market. To avail of a special offer for Days of Thunder listeners, go to HelloFresh.com slash VOW16 and use VOW16 for up to 16 free meals and 3 free gifts. That's HelloFresh.com slash VOW16. Use code VOW16. Thank you once again to HelloFresh, America's number one meal kit. With that said, let's just get into it, buddy. It's Thunder episode 53 from Winston-Salem, North Carolina, USA, um, dated 4th of March, 1999. Uh, and holy shit, Lee, this was a week of people fucking talking on this show. <laughs> holy shit. I mean, yeah, there was a lot of, lot of promos on this. I mean, the show opens with, I think it's like 12 minutes of promos. <laughs> Thursday night not shutting the fuck up oh my god and here's the running theme as well right look I'm I'm a man for a promo segment love a good promo segment and some of the people they had cutting promos or doing segments talking segments on this show I normally am quite into the running theme on this show was that everybody came into their promo segments with about two maybe three things to say but was given so much time they had to say those two or three things three or four times over holy shit this is like i'm i I, again spoilers this was a 
bad fucking episode of Thunder as far as I was concerned. <laughs> this is, I, I, I turned it on. I was like, oh, it's one of those ones that's only like just about an hour and a half exactly. No faffing about. This will fly by. Jesus fuck. It, it felt about twice as long as it was. And there was shit all wrestling on this show. And the majority of the wrestling that was on it was either bad or brief. Um, yeah, I mean, I'm still like, I'm not, I'm not going to argue with anything you just said. That's exactly what the show was. Like, so we'll get into it. There's a cold open, and it's a, a nitro flashback. Uh, Arn storms into David Flair's locker room. At first, they do this thing where they're going back and forth. They're going, "Are you lost? No, I'm not lost. Are you lost? No, I'm not lost." I'm like, "Oh Jesus." This is just like fucking charisma vacuum David give, Flair. Like, give it a moment and they will both be lost because this promo gets fucking lost. <laughs> look, look, this is... What a vacuum of charisma David Flair, gormless Egypt David Flair is, is that he actively makes Arn Anderson worse at promos by being in the same room as him. <laughs> Think about that. I tell you what, like this promo got like... I think it's like six minutes. They had that. It's four, like at least four. But um, David Flair's facial expression never once changes. Yeah, I mean, at at various moments, he's like the the level to which he looks like he's about to cry goes slightly up or down. Um, but that's about it. Um, like I, I marvel at how there could be anybody in this company, his own father included, thinking he was ready for TV. I mean, I think David is just blessed that Reed wasn't a little bit older because it would have been Reed in this position. Yeah. Or that, like, Ashley wasn't interested in professional wrestling and a little older. Yeah, because... You know. (laughs) (laughs) Like, it's actually startling just how out of fucking place he is on this show. Yeah. Again, like you mentioned Reed there. So like when Reed showed up that time. Oh, ton of charisma. Oodles yeah. of charisma. O- oodle. When he even did the mean by God gene that time. Loved it by comparison to this fucking Egypt that we're now stuck with. Um, And like, again, this is one of those things where they had maybe two things to say. Like uh, Aaron's bullet point coming in was he he wanted to ask like are you willing to throw your family away for Samantha and the NWO and uh, David's one thing was to say that like he's he's tough now <laughs> you know uh, and that's it although I did appreciate like in the ultimate like trying to be disparaging he kept referring to Samantha as that yeah not, not... what was what was that about? Not, not a great moment where it's just like Aaron's just constantly you're throwing it away for this for that and it's just like and yeah. just, even David Flair's like she has a name come on man like yeah, yeah, <laughs> she's yeah, standing like, right yeah. there yeah yeah he almost like baby faces the two of them with how horrific he's being like I was just like I was roaring laughing because I was just like who the fuck says that because it's not even like you said it's not even like he's saying this as in the entire concept of turning your back on your family it's specifically he's gesturing over at Samantha I call like Samantha that like the most dehumanizing rhetoric he can use in talking I I do enjoy that by the end of it Aaron is just like you know they're using you, and by the end of it, they're just going to leave you for dead. Yeah. 
uh, Aaron does have a great line. So that was a good line. His great line in here. At one point, um, David Flair is kind of like not squaring up to him, but like, you know, kind of trying to put on a front of not caring. Mm-hmm. And uh, Aaron has a great line. He's like, oh, you got a leather jacket, so you're a tough guy now, huh? <laughs> <laughs> Which is great. Because, again, he's in the leather jacket that is, like, ill-fitting. It's one of those, like, I'm wearing my dad's suit jacket things. It's, it's you know, when you um, first start going out drinking with your mates and you're trying to get yeah. into the club for the first time? Yeah, that's And you have, like, your, yeah, your, your bigger brother's jacket on. Yeah. Um, Aaron then finishes the segment by saying that once I walk out of here, you're one of them. And then he walks out of there. And then what's brilliant is like David Flair, all of 19 years old, trying to look tough in front of Samantha. Like as soon as Aaron is safely out of the room, uh, Samantha says to him, is like, you should have slapped him. And he goes, oh, I, I, I ought to knock his teeth out. <laughs> it's that whole thing of if he had to stay around, I, I, I would have done it. <laughs> yeah. Let me at him. Um, Sc- scrappy do David Flair. Yeah. It's, I, I, again, apart from the, like, as well as marveling at how he, someone thought he was TV ready, uh, I also marvel across this show is that there's no pretense towards building him up as any sort of threat or anything serious. Like, anytime he's mentioned on the show, it's in a way that makes him look Oh, they dis- dismiss him constantly. Yeah. Like. So him with his little tough guy talk here made him look worse. And then we go into, so now we're on Thunder. And. So at the start, I appreciated this first Thunder segment because I thought it was a different way to open the mm-hmm. show. And it's just Aaron and Flair on chairs in the locker room and having a very somber discussion, kind of summing up where we are in the storyline so far. But again, this goes on for nearly eight minutes. And Dave, did you know it's only it's only you and I talking? That 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 yeah. like they must hit that point at least ten times. You know, just just between Giant- us. <laughs> giant camera nearly being blinded by the set lighting it's just you and me here here rick um Aaron as well had a lovely navy thunder shirt on that i was very jealous of yeah he did um, um def- definitely something that uh if you see it on ebay to keep an eye out for yeah um he says this whole david thing has him stumped uh rick mentions that you know in the contract when he won power of WCW he still has power for about 20 days so this whole segment is yeah I know all that stuff happened with my 19 year old son stabbing me in the back and uh, tasing me but uh, I'm going to ignore that now because Hogan and the belt is more important Um, and I know that so the point they're trying to drive home here is that uh, well what, what I have surmised to be the point Lee because they're not I know you shouldn't treat your audience like idiots, but I feel like they were being slightly too obtuse for the WCW audience of 1999. Um, so the inference between the the Iron segment they showed us and then this segment between the two the, the two lads talking is that the NWO are deliberately leading David along to distract Flair so that Hogan beats him, so that he he's too up in his head about his son and he's not focused on Hogan. Uh, and his time runs out uh, with control of WCW. That is what I have surmised is supposed to be the storyline, but they are not doing a great job of putting that across, I think. See, I come at it from a different perspective where 
I think the story is that Rick is just solely focused on the World Heavyweight title because really, that's all that's ever mattered to him. Rick Flair has never been this, you know, Mister Family. Yeah. Like I know they had the, the Starcade '93 thing where he was going to retire, fade or beat him, and you know they brought in Reed or whatever. But like Rick Flair is Rick Flair. He's fucking kiss dealing, wheeling, yeah. dealing, son of a gun, all that kind of mm-hmm. stuff. Um. So to me, it comes across of as Aaron is saying, you know this is your family Rick and Rick is like I don't care uh, the, you know I'm in charge for 20 days I get Hogan in a cage surrounded by barbed wire that's my focus I don't care about David until this is over mm. and to me it's almost it's setting up almost a heel turn for Rick yeah I, I suppose I read it a different way like to me it felt like uh, that situation that I just described, but how it actually comes off is kind of being very dismissive of the threat of David. It's like, ah, this fucking little piss. Oh yeah, he's, he's in no way worried about David. Yeah. And even um, as well, like burying David even further by just saying <laughs> he had to borrow money off me. So it's like, this dude is just a fucking little snotty deadbeat. Like, I give a fuck he also about mentions him. that he still lives at home. Yeah. Which is like, those are segments I want. It's not at home with the Ravens. At home with the Flares where like, you know, they're doing the thing. Ashley, will you tell David to pass the butter? <laughs> it's like they, they go up to uh, David's room and it's uh, all the floor horsemen posters are on the floor or in the bin. And it's now like yeah. pictures of big sexy Kevin Nash and Hollywood Hogan and a feathered bow yeah. over the door. Yeah, and it's revealed that he actually turned on him because Rick asked him to take out the bins. <laughs> I, t- <laughs> I tell you what, if uh, if you're going to cast David Flair as Kevin and Perry, who, who who's, yeah. who, oh. who's going to be his Perry? <laughs> oh. Well, because yeah, Crowbar no, isn't Crowbar here Crowbar's not around you. Oh, that's tough. Who would you have? I mean, to me, it's disco. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. He's I'll all nice that. to, you know, Mrs. Fair. Hello, Mrs. Fair. <laughs> yeah. Hello, Mrs. Fair. <laughs> yeah, I like that. It's a shame that uh, that that Canyon is already doing essentially the same thing for Raven because mm-hmm. clearly he'd be great at it from those at home with the Raven segments. Um. But again, like I said, this is another segment that I think they could have got this done in three minutes. Yeah. And it's 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 almost exactly eight minutes long. It would have been a lot more impactful um, as well if they kind of just didn't keep repeating themselves. Yeah, and I think even though, like I said, I kind of appreciate the change of pace that you're opening with two guys talking. I try to think of it in the context of 1999 and what kind of TV built ratings back then. And I don't think this is what's no. doing it. Um, it engages people like me who are super interested in the inside baseball and the stories and things like that. But I think, you know, particularly in 99, people are like entrances, finishers and pyro, please. And they don't get any of that for nearly 20 fucking minutes on this program. Yep, that is true. Uh, we're, we're finally in the arena and um, Brain is super business casual this week with like a, a blue t-shirt and a uh, like a long sleeve orange uh, number over it like a casual jacket shirt thing looks looks like he's going to be flying with uh, Easy Jet for the next week yeah um, 
so they mentioned some of the guys were on the show tonight and something we're going to hear someone we're going to hear from that we haven't heard from in a long time and that's Hacksaw Jim Duggan making his first WCW appearance since beating kidney cancer um, so that's cool then another flashback Lee um, it's Flair from Monday uh, he said he's been walking around having to hear everyone's op- opinions for two weeks since David turned on him <laughs> He then lists out the people from the NWO. And again, I think it may be one of those in-jokes we miss. While he's listing everybody, he says Big Sexy in a very high-pitched voice. Yeah, what what was that about? Yeah, or he's like, he's like Scott Hall. But then he's like, Big Sexy. <laughs> like, that's really fucking weird. I wonder what the fuck was going on backstage. Where, like, people are constantly making references to Kevin Ash. Yeah. I, I'll tell you what, it popped the crowd massively. I didn't get it, but it, the, the crowd loved it when he said that. Um, he announces, so it's going to be him and Hogan in a cage uh, at Uncensored. 15 foot high, no door on it, and barbed wire barbed wire around the outside. No one's escaping, no one's getting in. Two men enter, one man leaves. Uh, as Flair says, tradition will ride again. Woo. <laughs> um, then... Nitro again. <laughs> Fuck. I, I was just, at this point, I was like, I nearly needed to take a break. I was like, this is ridiculous. This is the fifth segment on the show already, none of which is in the ring at Thunder. Okay? Uh, this is Buff and Scott taunting Goldberg and Rick I was going to say, what, was this a live Thunder? Uh, it was the first half of oh, a double Jesus. set of tapings. Yeah. Because um, it's, yeah, it's the even-numbered ones are usually the okay. back half. Anyway. Um, so, yeah, then we get a tag match later. Uh, Buff and Scott versus Goldberg and Rick. Uh, Buff Bagwell gets this, the, the absolute crap spirit out of him. Uh, then Scott tries to attack Goldberg, and Rick sneaks in and gets the pin while that's happening. Um, then we get our first match of the night. The veritable mass classically, Rick Steiner versus Humorous with Jimmy Hart. Uh, this is where I noted that it was pretty much 20 whole minutes of television without including commercials uh, before the first bell uh, on this show. Absolutely fucking disgraceful. Like, that's nearly a third of the show. Yeah, gone. for like people talk about the Russo era, that's... That's crazy. Like that really is. And and none of it great. Do you know what I mean? Like there's there is some good points, some good lines, but again, you cut half of it out. You know, uh, we didn't really need to show that last nitro no. flashback to the. You could have just told what happened during the Rick entrance. Rick Steiner picked up a win then, on Nitro by pinning Buff Bagwell with the bulldog. Yeah, yeah. flare stuff is important to catch people up on. Um, so I understand that but again you could have trimmed that down by half um, so you could have been in the ring in 10 minutes or mm-hmm. less from the start of this show and should have been aiming for that but anyway um, at this match like talk about the audacity of making us wait 20 minutes for this because uh, this Lee was just 2 minutes of guys doing moves wasn't it yeah the, these guys have l- very little interest in uh, actually working hard here um, I mean, Hugh Morris, like we've said, like we've kind of put over, like he he's pretty athletic for a guy his size. Yeah, great touch for a big man. But 
just nobody has any interest in him, do they? Like, he's just not over at all. Not over at all. People are into Rick's entrance. People are into Rick when he does his finish, but they're not into the match at all. Because I think, again, it's one of those things where they're in the middle of kind of hyping up Rick a little bit. Like, not pushing him to world title level or anything like that, but, like, he's a commodity that is valued somewhat within WCW. So I don't think anyone for a single second from when Hugh Morris came out thought that there was going to be anything resembling a competitive match. Uh, this was one of those thunders where most, uh, I think every match except one was just a tune-up mm-hmm. match for want of a better term. Um, So again, people get into the entrance, then they zone out, and then when they see the finish... It's interesting you say that, considering what the knock on uh, Braun Breaker is these days. Of all his charisma, disappears in the middle of a match. Yeah. Um, But at least, I suppose, um, WCW kept things brief, whereas, you know, in NXT, this guy is having to wrestle like probably Mm 20-plus minutes. Uh, in big matches but you know I, I, it's something where that guy has had like less than 50 matches in his career oh it's right? like probably less than 25 yeah so I I have full faith he'll like he seems to be like he's definitely unpolished but there's there's definitely something there with him Um, so it's a big if if they don't completely fuck him I up. mean the best thing for him will be if they released him <laughs> yeah I know honestly but oh well. Um, yeah, Steiner Bulldog for the win. I, I literally, it's the running theme of a lot of the matches on this show. I, I don't no, have a there, lot to there's say. There's not about much it. to say about it. Like, there really isn't. Yeah. No. In the hobby, it's not easy being a fan of ripping packs or repacks. We hype ourselves up thinking, ah, maybe I can pull a Ken Griffey Jr. rookie card. But with zero transparency on available cards and hit rates, it's all just a shot in the dark. Until now. Introducing Slab Packs from ArenaClub.com, the only repack that provides real value, a complete view of all possible cards, and clear hit rates for each one. Now, when I buy Slab Packs at Arena Club, it finally feels like I know what I'm getting. I was able to open an Arena Club Slab Pack, and, and I'll be honest, it was a lot better than what you normally do. Say you go to a card show, and there's a random innocuous brown bag of cards and yeah you can open it and look it's going to be junk you're you, you know what i mean like you know what you're probably going to get in those maybe you find that fun and sometimes i do sometimes i like just opening up cards and saying oh, hey look at some random cards or whatever but if you're really in this game to to find value and find particular cards it sucks to have to buy these mystery packs and it ends up being you know almost nothing you know nothing of value not with arena club you can display, again, of all available cards, hit rates, grading, so you know that when you're opening up the slab pack, you are going to get something valuable. You are getting something good. And Arena Club, in addition to having those great slab packs we just talked about, is also a marketplace for card collecting, buying, trading, selling, displaying, all that sort of stuff. But those Arena Club slab packs, man, they are revolutionizing the repack game with transparency. After your polls are revealed, they'll immediately be placed in your vault for safekeeping or trading and selling, and you can have them officially graded by Arena Club as well. So again, setting these things off, it's going to be officially graded by Arena Club. And the Arena Club grading process is accurate, fast, and transparent with full grade rationale provided and explanation of how your card was scored. So whether you're buying, selling, trading, or displaying, Arena Club is the card collecting platform that you have to check out. So right now, I've got a special offer here for Voices of Wrestling Network listeners. 
you can get 10% off of your first purchase by going to arenaclub.com slash V-O-W net. Again, that's arenaclub.com slash V-O-W net. Now, that's a crazy offer. That's 10% off a $400 slab pack. $40 off right there. 10% off your first purchase. No matter what that purchase is, 10% off. Again, that's arenaclub.com slash V-O-W net. Arenaclub.com slash V-O-W net for 10% off your first purchase on Arena Club. And we thank them for sponsoring the Voices of Wrestling Podcast Network. Uh, then another fucking talking segment, Lee. Oh boy, is this a talking segment? So this is the seventh segment of the show, six of which have been talking segments. Um, Gene in the ring, and he's welcoming two of the four horsemen. Uh, you would have thought that it was maybe going to be Aaron and Rick considering four of the previous segments had been about the Flair storyline. No, it's the other two. It's Benoit and Malenko. And holy shit. Like, I know it's not going to blow anyone's mind when I say that Dean Malenko and Chris Benoit were not great promo guys. But this was like, this was too... This was the promo of two green dudes who are new in the territory. You know, where it's like, Oh, bad guys, we're really annoyed uh, that we lost the big match. And as much as we want the gold, we also want to get you too. And we're really mad about it. And it was just It, it was Southpaw Wrestling, that's what it was. Yeah. Except without the, it's not. No, it was like. I mean, Chris Benoit's segment was literally what you just said. It's uh, we tried real hard and we're gonna get you, and we're coming for you. And then it goes to Malenko, and it goes off the fucking rails even further. (laughs) It was one of those. Do you remember early on we had a bit on the show where the two of us were having to watch Hogan segments multiple times to figure out what he was trying to say. This was very much that where I watched this Dean promo twice Why? for my sins, and I have no idea what he said. I I know he said that the only thing that's been on his mind since the pay per view is the gold, which completely undercuts what Benoit had just said. Yeah, because <laughs> Benoit was like, "As much as we want the gold, we want vengeance even more." And Malenko's like, "Yeah, you're right. All I can think about is the belts." <laughs> <laughs> what? <laughs> Yeah, and then he proceeds to lay out what the stipulation at the pay-per-view is, except he doesn't at all lay out what the stipulation at the pay-per-view is. <laughs> yeah. Lee, I'm learning just now that that's what he did when you said that. <laughs> he attempts to say that... I think, no, hang on. What he says is, when you leave the ring, there's going to be a leather strap waiting for you. Mm. And then you're going to get back in the ring, and we're going to be there. And it's just like... Mean Gene has to interrupt and go, okay, so what I think you're trying to say is there's going to be a lumberjack strap match at the pay-per-view <laughs> where there's going to be lumberjacks around the ring and if you leave, you get hit with a strap. Yeah. Just <laughs> god-awful. That's the So that's the other thing. There's a couple of talking segments on this show where it's like, clearly it was earlier that day that, is Nash still in charge at this point? Ooh, probably. Yeah, because we haven't had the... Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think he is. So it's like Nash just woke up that morning and looked at his calendar and saw, oh, shit. It's like 
a week and a half away from the pay-per-view. I better start getting some matches on. So there are at least two segments that are exactly the same, where it's like some guy coming out or two guys coming out to talk about the people they're beefing with and announce a stiff now, match. To be fair, at the pay-per-view, they used the belt. At the pay-per-view, they did yeah. the beatdown with the belt. Yes. Every segment true. that we've this seen Benoit and Malenko against Henning and Wyndham has yeah. involved the belt. So I think yeah. they have built yeah. to the strap match. They just haven't said it. Just yeah. don't 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 the, give the, the you know job to Dean Malenko to say it. Yeah. The other segment where somebody proposes a stip match is far more out of the fucking mm-hmm. blue. And we'll get to that later. Fucking hell. This this episode, mate. <laughs> it sucks so bad. Awful. One like legit at this point it's one of the war shows. Yeah. And I already wrote and this was less than halfway through the show. I wrote, God, what a talky episode. I had no idea what I was mm-hmm. in for. Uh, Saturday night tease. We're getting Perry Saturn. We're getting Hoovy versus Ray. We're getting Humorous. And we're getting Meng versus Barb. Uh, the next match was a handicap match pitting the Cat and Sonny Ono against Al Green, who we haven't seen in a long time. And I had completely forgotten about. Yeah, I thought Al Green didn't come back until he comes back in 2000. But obviously I was wrong. You, Yeah, you were. Um, Lee, what in the fuck was going on with the dub on the cat's entrance on the network oh, I, I, It was awful. It's fucking like... I've, they like... So I think just based on looking up at the ramp, he was still coming out to Glacier's music because you could see the snow. No, the I think he, he kept the pyro and the lights and the snow, but he obviously got his I'm the greatest. Ah, and they don't have the and rights. they must not have the rights. Yeah. So they, they've dubbed it over with like an elongated version of his old mm-hmm. music. And... The first 10 seconds of that old music, the long version, sounds like fucking circus music. <laughs> I was like, is fucking Doink coming out here? What the yeah, fuck? Yeah, when at first I had no clue who was coming, and then I saw the snow and the ice, I was like, is Glacier back? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> with a new attitude. Um... So this is an apparent tune-up for a match that we're getting at some indeterminate no, point at, in the future. No, it's at uncensored. Oh God, where it's going to be Sunny versus Jerry? No, Sunny and the Cat versus Jerry Flynn. Oh, it's both of them yeah. versus Jerry Flynn. Oh God, I don't. Know. Well, I can't make it much worse than just Sunny versus Jerry Flynn. But like, I don't know who Jerry Flynn has pissed off. Um, I mean, this is Jerry anyway. Flynn getting a push, getting a pay per view match. Yeah. God, yeah, like fair play for that, but Jesus, I do not envy him having to try and get something passable out with these so two. So the highlight uh, of this match is Bobby Heenan trying for a solid minute and a half to get in at his joke about how yeah. music royalty is present in this match. Yeah, and he says it. He said, like right when they're getting in the ring, he says it, and they don't bite. And then he says it, I think, uh-huh. twice more during the match before they get it. We get to that in a second. Um. The cat says that Sonny can whoop anyone because he has the greatest behind him. And just to remind the fans, he then says, I am the greatest. (laughs) Which is great. Just in case you're unclear as to who the greatest is in this situation, guys. It's me. Um, Yeah, so then Brain tells his gag that, oh, God, Al Green, Sonny, 
and James Brown over here. There's a lot of musical history in this match. And then when the when the guys finally hear the joke they start to tell, they they just shrug. Yeah. <laughs> I thought it was a good joke. <laughs> yeah, I thought it was a pretty good gag. Pretty solid. Pretty solid. Um Sonny is reluctant to tag in here. Uh anytime that Al is selling. He tries to sneak attack him, so there's a bit on the outside where he sneaks up behind him and Al turns around and he runs away. I did kind of like that bit. Um, get in the ring, whole lot of nothing for about a minute, Lee, and then Cat um, completely... It, it was a very bad-looking super kick, but Al Green sold it like his soul left his body. I mean, I thought it was a decent enough kind of running super kick type thing. Um but yeah, no. I'll, it did, but it didn't look like a, it. No, no. To to kick, be fair, like, it did not look like a kill shot. Yeah, that's what I mean. Like they sell as proportion to the move. Like he again, he sold it. Like, oh god. Speaking of selling, how did we not mention this at the Mania wrap up? The greatest stunner bump of all time by Vincent Kennedy McMahon. Oh god. You want to talk about a cell where I think in the VOW Slack I described it as his skeleton erupted out of his body. <laughs> I mean, I can't be the only one that was fearing death. Oh, yeah. Yeah. But like, hit <laughs> the cell and then Austin getting up absolutely snotting himself laughing. Perfect. So, hey, re- re- anyway. remember when, you know, Vince McMahon has spent all these weeks building up Austin Theory as his new boy? Yeah, and then Austin Theory lost to a commentator at WrestleMania, mm-hmm. and that commentator yeah. then lost to a seventy-five-year-old fucking whatever the fuck Vince McMahon is these days. Yeah, <laughs> and then that seventy-five-year-old later just ate a stunner to a guy in his last segment. <laughs> so the guy who got the ultimate heat for all that was a guy who's never wrestling yep. again. Anyway, yeah, this wasn't a great, like, this was, the uh, the super kick was average, but, again, Al Green sold it like he had shoot died. Um, Sonny tagged in and got the pin, basically. Sonny tags in, no, Sonny tags in, Cat holds him up, and he does almost a slow motion spin kick that paint brushes Al Green and then pins him. So very crucial to say that Sonny got the final strike in here. And Tony, as the avatar for the entire audience, just mutters, that was a travesty of a match. (laughs) I think Tony just felt that way genuinely. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. I think he thought he pressed his cough button and he was saying that to (laughs) Tanae. Speaking of travesty, an absolutely abysmal segment in the ring coming up next. Gene is in the ring again, and this time he's here to talk to Perry Saturn. So Perry is very clearly like, okay, so another man who should not be cutting lengthy promos. He's very bad at them. We love Perry Saturn Mm -hmm. in the ring as an intense killer. This is not good. Um... He's trying to get the bald bombshell thing over and it's not working. Yeah, I mean, come on. Bald bombshell. What the fuck is that? Yeah. Yeah. He says, chicks dig guys in a dress. Now, that line does get over mm-hmm. with the crowd. Definitely more than bald bombshell does. Um, 
and then in a weird line so the whole thing is they're trying to reverse engineer they want to get to a dog collar match and Perry's way of getting into it is on Monday he noticed that he thinks Jericho has a chain fetish well just as a matter of coincidence he has a bondage fetish so let's have a dog collar match yep like Particularly because in recent history, in 2022, we had one of the great dog collar matches in modern history. This is particularly <laughs> shoddy. Are you are you like, not it, are it you not buying this build up? No, look, it wouldn't have been good anyway. But after how good that build to Punk MJF was, I can't help but have that in the back of my mind for this. So. It- like, is oh, it that you God. don't believe that Perry Saturn has a bondage fetish? No, well, look, that's his, you know, that's cool, man. <laughs> like, I just, it, co- <laughs> it all coming out of nowhere all of a sudden to get to this specific match is a little suspect. Is I don't know. I, I look at Perry Saturn and I can't help but think Leather Daddy. Look, I, I am I am not going to, to kick shame uh, by any stretch of the imagination. If he's going somewhere saying he wants an outfit that says dad likes leather, then that's fine by him. You know, you fucking do you, mate. Um, now, the gimmick I enjoy is Jericho coming out, going all parents television council and saying, yes, Perry, I do have a fetish. A fetish to keep World Championship Wrestling a G-rated program. Great line. Absolutely great line. (laughs) And if having a dog collar match is what it takes, then that's what he'll do. And I don't know, because I don't know what the last... I can't remember what the last couple of months of Jericho holds. But God, if they never ran with the idea of Jericho being a, like... (laughs) like a pc conscious you know trying to clear the smut out of wcw guy then they pre-write the center kind of yeah oh my god he could take that kind of idea and run with it um then in a line that absolutely does not hold up well now perry says he's going to wear an outfit so outrageous that even marilyn manson will think that guy is crazy um the only bit I liked about that was then during the next segment, uh, Tony kind of has to explain who Marilyn Manson is. <laughs> I was like, he's known for be for wearing crazy stuff. So if he thinks it's crazy, just having to explain yeah. the line. Although the crowd did kind of yeah. Well, I mean, it. Marilyn Manson was um, fucking huge in nineteen ninety nine. This yeah, this would have been like the peak of his his popularity. I would say in around this time. Um. Next match in another like bizarre combo uh, that was just a tune-up match. We've got Bam Bam Bigelow versus Prince Ikea, the Flatpak Sovereign. Do you remember not that long ago, Lee, they did the big return for Prince Ikea? Yep. <laughs> and he was going to kick on and he was going to become a major single star at WCW. And I don't think we've seen him win a single no, match since. No, because he did his big comeback and then lost for about three weeks in a row. And, yeah, disappeared. and disappeared. disappeared. He became a Saturday night guy. Yeah, and now he's back and mostly gets killed to bits yep. in this match. Um, 
so he's working he does the thing that the you know the smaller man does in these kind of matches against the beasts where you know he's moving around as fast as he can strike run strike run uh to try and get bam bam off his feet and make sure bam bam can't get a hold of him but then when he tries to do a baseball slide underneath him bam bam catches him starts beating the shit out of him they go to the outside bam bam really punishing him picking him up running him back first into the ring post smashes his head into the apron uh they mention in uh something that had been alluded to last week that they were heading this way that there's going to be a triangle match at the pay-per-view between raven hack and bam bam uh, to determine who the real king of hardcore wrestling is uh that's gonna be on the pay-per-view uh ikea does get a little bit of shine here towards the end of the match he does a good looking springboard cannonball for a two count um and i do like um the story of the finish is good, Lee, because he does the the, can, the the springboard cannonball, and that gets Bam Bam off his feet, gets a two count, and he thinks, oh, that worked. I got the giant down. I'm going to try to do something like that again. So he goes to the opposite side. He goes to do a springboard again, but this time Bam Bam knows it's coming, catches him out of midair, tremendous strength, fire thunder driver, a.k.a. the greetings from Asbury Park, and it's over. I didn't see the finish of the match because I went to get a drink and some nachos. <laughs> I mean, I could very easily have paused. <laughs> what, what a fucking I could have paused the network. <laughs> yeah, what kind of nachos? Give me your nacho review. Oh, it was just some um, some plain, cool, cool Doritos and uh, some cheese dip. Would the would the cool the cool ranch? Yeah, oh, they're, they're your, my my they're my go to Dorito. Oh, I'm a well, see, especially with Connor, like he he's not into the spicy yet. So, uh, and I I don't like the cheese ones. The cheese are too. I yeah, I don't like the cheese. Chili heat. I'm a dedicated chili heat wave guy. Have you tried the the Tesco cool ranch no. ones? They are surprisingly okay. nice. Yeah, I would give those. I've tried the Aldi ones. They're not great. No. Oh, do you know what I'm actually big into now? This is this is how exciting this show is. We're doing snack talk. Always, always Looking time for snack in. talk. The uh, the Lidl, uh the 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 peanut and corn spicy mix. That's like um, got a bit of paprika and stuff on there. Um, it's really really nice. Where you got like the nice savory peanut okay. flavor, but there's like there's corn in it, so there's like a nice crunch element that takes it to the okay, next I level. Seen that. Yeah, yeah. It's like. If you're somebody who likes that kind of savory peanut mix or like a Bombay hmm. mix or something like that, this is kind of this is up that kind okay. of strassa uh, for you. Um, I also have become partial to speaking of Lidl. They do a um, a Smarties donut. I have very, seen very that. Nice. They they are very good. If you no, if you're going to Lidl, you have to get the brownies. Oh, I don't oh I've ever had man, that out of bakery, they are fucking legit. If you if you like. Um, Fuck it, this is just a snack talk podcast for the next couple of minutes because I need a couple of minutes <laughs> off this show, so go for it. The, the, the center of the brownies is like this kind of melted chocolate. It's very um, like Nutella. So if you like chocolate yeah. on chocolate, it's good. Yeah, that sounds good, man. I um, Yesterday, when I went to the Sparks gig, I, I had quite a day for the snackage. I, I went to, I don't know if we've talked about it on the show, but it's one of my favourite places to eat in Dublin, Shemak. We haven't talked, uh, have we talked, we have talked about it before, we have. Have we gone we there have together not, before? I've never been. 
Oh, we must amend that someday, buddy. Uh, Korean fried chicken. It is good shit. I got uh, my six uh, nugs in KBBQ sauce, which is just mwah. And then I accompanied that with the the bacon and kimchi fries. Ooh, nice. Unbelievable stuff. Unbelievable. And then after the gig, because I had like the buses back to my my quaint little uh area of the country from the big smoke are few and far between on a sunday night so when i got out of the gig i had the guts of an hour to kill so i went to defontaines which was one of uh our group's favorite spots after ott shows back in the day which is probably the best place in dublin for a late night new york style slice of pizza uh, and I had uh, just a fantastic slice of pepperoni sitting there, chilling out, unwinding in that post-gig glow that you get. Um, yeah, goddamn man, great night. God, for I was actually I was walking through Temple Bar on um, on Friday, and I was just thinking, yeah. God, I'd love a slice of pizza. I'm bringing a group to Dublin for the day on Thursday. And I think I'm going to do what I did with another group during the summer where because they don't get to go up to Dublin a lot, like they're young mm. teenagers, uh, they wouldn't be able to go up by themselves yet. Um, I'm going to bring them to either Defontaines or Wow Burger. <sighs> Ooh, tough, tough call. Yeah, like last time we did a split and one of us brought a crowd to Defontaines and one of us went to Wow Burger. You could always go to the, the Wow Burger so. off Grafton Tree and then bring them into uh, Tower Records. Is that still there? Oh, oh yes, Tower Tower there, Records there, is yeah. is happening. So it's on Dawson Street now. Yeah, this is this is this is not interesting to absolutely anybody, but except actually, no, a lot of Americans will be interested to know that there's a Tower Records that still exists. Yeah, because there, there's a golden <laughs> there discs are. still in Stevens Green Shopping Center. Yeah, oh, there's loads of them around. There's one here near me, but uh, Tower Records was like a huge like underground record store brand in the states mm. years ago. Um and now it's not around there, but there's two huge ones in Dublin. Yeah, very strange actually. <laughs> yeah, it's bizarre. Um anyway, I guess we'll go back to the show and uh a non title tag team match, Horace and Vincent versus Barry Windham and Kurt Hennig. Uh blink and you'll miss this match. I'm surprised you didn't miss or did you miss this complete one on your hunt? I know matches? I came back I came back once um IKEA was finishing the ring. <laughs> Oh, thank God. You wouldn't want to miss this. Uh, matches less than a minute in when Stevie Ray appears as if from nowhere. And I will say, rocking an incredible Well, uh, hang on. Stevie Ray is dressed like The Rock. Yeah. From <laughs> that, that photo. photo. Hang on, hang on. Yeah, back. you just have to say that photo and everyone knows that photo. Yeah. That one photo. Gold chain <laughs> and all. Yeah. Incredible fit. Uh, beats up Vincent and then chases him out of the arena. Then, like, literally as soon as that happens, the horsemen are out uh, with belts to attack the champs for the disqualification. Um, This was absolute piss, a non-match. And the only note I wrote about this was, it was funny that this whole segment was like, including entrances, maybe two minutes long. And as they were backing out of the place, Hennig was sucking air. Yeah. (laughs) He was blown up. uh... Not covering themselves in glory here, considering all they had to do was walk to the ring, wrestle for 90 seconds. Yeah, if that. Yeah. 
Um, then we have this might be controversial, Lee, but let let's see what you think. The best segment on the show for me. Um, I and it, disagree. <laughs> oh. <laughs> So this this was the return of Hacksaw Jim Duggan and he cuts a promo and what I loved about it was on this show of kind of heavily contrived um boring we we get the point now move on interviews or setting up matches because we're running out of time before the pay-per-view this felt like an earnest segment that got uh, like an organic crowd reaction and I I thought it was really good Um, yeah it just kind of like made me smile Hacksaw's okay and he's got a good message for the fans here what did you think of it? I'm going to preface this by saying I'm really glad Hacksaw was okay <laughs> because I was about to say some horrible things about him <laughs> like listen Absolutely great that he he recovered from cancer, a fucking shitty disease that no one deserves to suffer from. This is where you do the uh, the bright Alvarez. I'm sure he's a nice but, guy. <laughs> um, first of all, he's bringing religion to television. We all know religion has no place yeah. on television. <laughs> yes, look, uh, in a personal way, I definitely agree with that concept. But I, I also, the overwhelming tone of gratitude for having lived through it is kind of what I took more from it. I was a little bit weirded out when he took a knee and started saying a prayer. But I, I kind of feel like it didn't completely lose me because I think the, the message of the whole segment was just very positive for yeah, me. Yeah, no, look, it, look it's, a, it's a good story, which you're not really going to get many times in WCW of, you know, a guy... Yeah got really sick he's recovered he's come up he doesn't even say he's coming back he says if he comes back because i'm guessing yeah. he has literally yeah. just recovered now he looks he looked great i will give him that the- yeah oh he looks he looks like he did before he left do you know what i mean he looks um, good do you know for hacksaw like obviously he's not you know he's not ripped to shreds or anything like that but he just looks like a normal I thought guy it was fucking corny as fuck when he got no, when he goes into the end and he's like, "If I come back, I won't be doing no obscene gestures. I won't be saying no obscene <laughs> yeah, yeah. curse words. Uh, there won't be no feather boas, no sequin robes. I'll just be playing old hacker." And it's like, "So you'll be back on Saturday night?" <laughs> oh, Lee, you heartless cynic. I, I just, yeah, I just smile during this. And again, it's because I guess I don't have that much invest. Like, I know he's never going to be pushed as a big guy or anything like that. So I'm kind of just, like we said, we're happy to see him back. And, you know, um, I really like... Jingoism? Um, uh, <laughs> yeah. But it, that's part and parcel of the character. Do you know what I mean? Like, that's that's kind of, if you're into Hacksaw, as, these crowd, as this crowd appeared to be, that's kind of what you get. That goes with the territory. Um, it's wild when you look at this that you think about what like six, five, six years later he's still wrestling on Raw. Yeah, ta- tag team after this. Eugene. Yeah, that's crazy. But um, 
like just his stuff about how uh, oh, oh yeah so the best part about the prayer the bit that that's what I meant to say so the prayer nearly lost me where he goes down on one knee and he's thanking God and stuff like that but then at the end of the prayer instead of a- saying amen oh, he does a oh. I did pop for that <laughs> yeah yeah that got me um, the only thing that would have been better is if he had done a Vince McMahon style hallelujah <laughs> I could make a very very bad joke that would get us in major trouble but I won't <laughs> we'll, we'll move swiftly on um, when he, he thanks WCW he thanks his doctors and again in like you said a rare good story he says that WCW stood by him while he was sick and that makes him proud to be part of the company and again this was a company that did not have a history of doing right by people who were injured or sick um, so that's pretty good stuff um, I really loved his message about how he says people out there at home or sorry he met people while he was getting treatment that were struggling with cancer and it showed him and it should show everyone at home what real strength is never give up miracles do happen and then I do love the whole you know driving home the early detection is key go to your doctor and stuff like that I think that's mm-hmm. all really good shit um, and like you said the fact that it was a segment that was just there to celebrate the good news of him being in the clear and it wasn't overtly building to a return or a return match or you know we didn't have something cheap like a heel come out and try to get heat off him or something like that and he just got to say his bit thank everybody and then leave to it the hero's welcome I just thought it was a tremendous little bit of business here but uh, I totally like I would not for one second disagree with your misgivings about it um, but I suppose like the stuff I focused in on the stuff my mm. brain tuned into in this promo I really really yeah enjoyed. no that's fair um, next up we have a world cruiserweight title match Kidman versus Chavo Guerrero hey Lee have you heard the one about a Chavo match that's lots of fun as long as Chavo isn't on offense <laughs> it's funny it's like you're reading my notes uh, yeah like listen we, we've said this about Chavo Chavo is very 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 hit and miss um when he's selling he can sell well when he's on offense the match is going to a halt yeah and that is what happens and it's not a it's not a hugely long match but again it felt longer than it was because of the amount of time that he was on offense um i think he's he some of his wrestling has progressed since the start of thunder i think his selling and his feeding for comebacks Mm -hmm. has definitely progressed and is better it makes those parts of his matches more functional and enjoyable but again as soon as the momentum shifts like you get the maybe one spectacular move that shifts the momentum towards chavo and then just Mm -hmm. grinds to a halt as you say um i I will Um, say he his his sense of positioning in the ring seems to have gotten a lot better. Like he's not out of position as much anymore. Like there's not as many I hate to use the term botches as as there has been in the past. Um like so he has improved. Um I think to counter Chavo, I think Kidman is an incredible offensive wrestler at this point. His offense mm-hmm. is just so fucking good. Everything he does has it has that snap, has that kind of has that kind of feel of just being that's that's impactful that works everything he does i just think comes off really really well yeah um so we get um one of the key moments that crystallizes everything that's good about kidman and everything that's bad about chavo is one of the kind of momentum shifts to give chavo the heat in this is uh kidman's in the middle of a flurry of offense and he goes to do like a running 
uh, crossbody and he gets mm-hmm. low bridged uh, to the outside and that looks spectacular like he crashes and burns and eats shit out on the floor and it makes Chavo look really smart that he scouted it and low bridged him but then as soon as Chavo follows him out and starts going on offense it's like oh fuck <laughs> you know um, it's my just, brain just it's just the most basic of oh slam him into the rail slam him into the guard yeah. into the apron throw him back in and you know what? It gives the feeling that Kidman is wrestling mm-hmm. himself. You know, that that's how it comes off. Um, because of that differential in pace. And what it also comes off is like, I'm I'm here looking at it as like, this is for, within kayfabe terms, this is for the cruiserweight title. And you are showing no urgency whatsoever. And... Whatever about if you're not showing urgency and you're coming off like a methodical heel that's picking apart uh, the opposition and and not losing your cool and things like that. No, it's just coming off as like he's just not particularly mm-hmm. fussed. Um, and it was just really really disappointing. What what did um, you think of the uh, dusty finish? Because I really enjoyed it. Yeah. Um. It kind of like. As part of that, the momentum switches back. I, I did appreciate it as a little bit of storytelling. It's like Chavo didn't learn his own lessons and he himself gets low bridged to give Kidman the opportunity to start making a comeback. Kidman goes for, I think it was he was going for a Bronco Buster. Yeah, was it was it? like it's that thing where they, they, you know, they're going for a Bronco Buster, but they end up straddling the middle rope. Yeah, so he does that and then he gets rolled up with Chavo using the rope. Uh, the ref spots it Chavo is livid with him when he explains to him that it's not really a three count Kidman then makes his comeback and wins the shooting star press it was pretty clever um, and I did appreciate the little bit of storytelling that um, from Tony on commentary that tries to get or, or maybe it was tonight that tries to get Chavo over as a serious wrestler where they're like he's good enough that he doesn't have to cheat to win but he just chooses to yeah, because that's what his you uncle know? did. If 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 they were yeah. logically trying to tie his story together, they would say, after feuding with Eddie, this has been Chavo's conclusion that he needs to cheat to win. Yeah, because he tried to do things mm-hmm. the honest way and he didn't get anything for it. Um. So yeah, that's that that um that little bit at the end was very good, but otherwise nothing to write home about, which is the theme of this show. Um. Then we get holy shit. The mother of all repeating myself talking segments. I think this is the worst segment on the show. Uh, this is one of the worst segments that's ever been on this show. Since that one initial promo that we couldn't follow what the fuck Hulk mm-hmm. Hogan was saying. And this is an NWO segment with Hogan. Um, what I did like about it quite unintentionally was him hamming up in character. That everyone hates him. How he thinks every wrestler is jealous of him. How he doesn't really understand Flair loves re- how Flair loves wrestling so much, and how you know his whole eat your vitamins and say your prayers thing. He just did it for the money, and I appreciated that because he thinks this is heel shtick, but that is pretty much close to Terry Bollea's actual thoughts and actions. Yeah, now that you say it, it actually is. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it's like it's. In this segment where he's being a cartoon villain, it's probably the most honest Hogan has ever been in his life about himself. At the start of the promo, again, it's Hogan, so he kind of waffles on and is a little bit incoherent at times. 
I may have misheard him, but did he say he put his son Nicholas in hospital? Oh, he might have. I heard him mention. He mentioned his son, his son Nicholas. He mentioned the hospital and something yeah. about I put him there, and it's just like I was flat. I was just like, did did he just say he put his own son in the hospital? And then he talked. He talks about people, um, whether they're shooting or working, they hate me, and it's just like. Yeah. What? What? Why is this? Why are you talking like this on TV? It's the genesis of the work yourself into a shoot. Tweet. Yeah, it's it's so dumb. And yeah. then and then he spends like the ne- the closing two or three minutes of the promo just saying Rick Flair is a piece of shit. Yeah, he goes from being accidentally self aware to returning to his complete cocoon of no self awareness whatsoever. Um, truly bizarre. And it, again, much like every other talking segment of the show, it goes on for fucking yeah. so ages. So the, the big takeaway is that Hogan says if Flair can beat him at the pay-per-view, he will allow, he will allow Ric Flair to be WCW president forever. Which, by the way, he, there's absolutely in storyline no reason for him to put that on the line. No. He's already putting his title on the line. But, and also, he doesn't want to face Flair again. But then he also says that he actually uses these terms. Working with Ric Flair the last time brought out a hunger in him. Yeah. But the whole thing before that was that the last thing in the world he wanted was to face yeah, Flair. It, it's a baffling promo. It's not even a good... Remember the original NWO promos where they kind of chopped them up and cut them all together and made it, made a coherent yeah. promo. It's, it's not, not that. that. Yeah, it's a single yeah, cut. It, it's so weird. Yeah, it's um, if the storyline was that all these distractions around Flair are making him like the pressure is getting to him, then that would have been smart because it's like, hey here's even more pressure that you could save this company from us for good. And, you know, that's the tipping point where just it, it's even too much for Ric Flair to handle the responsibility of that. But that's not the storyline at all. No, it's just... <laughs> Again, I we, we've both said this. Anything involving Hulk Hogan on this show tends to be the fucking dirt worst of everything. Yeah. Just absolutely diabolical. <laughs> him and the promo. <laughs> Just in general, yeah, him. Yeah, yeah. Um, then we have our main event. Buff Bagwell versus Booker T. Uh, I'll tell you what, Buff is looking gas to the fucking gills. Hey, don't, don't be saying that about our friend Buff. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um... But yes, he looks fucking huge. That, that we have been asked that we were asked that on the Discord in between the two episodes. Like, what do we think of the Buff Twitter account? And uh, I think we've, I think everybody has kind of like given their their two cents in it now at this point. Um, but I think Lee, where we come down is, I don't want to speak mm. on your behalf, but I think where we come down is, is like. He may not be tweeting out of it a hundred percent of the time. He definitely, it definitely is his account. Um, 
he probably like a lot of wrestlers of his generation has either a mm-hmm. social media manager or at least someone drafting the yep. tweets for him uh or or giving him pointers on what to say um so i don't think it's 100% him but something i've kind of mulled over and that i think about is you know people are like oh is he just doing the woke stuff you know for the sake of it because it gets you know likes and stuff like that and the kind of way i come down on it lee is like even if there is a cynical business element to it because you know Mm -hmm. he's a wrestler always assume you're getting worked but what i will say is there are a lot of pro wrestlers out there particularly ones from his generation that won't even say progressive no. things on Twitter exactly. for profit. So to some extent, yes, it's it's pinkwashing because it's the Buff Bagwell brand trying to profit off being an LGBT ally in some ways or potentially trying to profit. I'm not going to say that's 100% what he's trying to do here because I, mm-hmm. I can't say what's in the man's head. But to some extent, I kind of like that he's... He's still yeah, tweeting. No, it, uh, you know it's, I mean? it's not like it was a one-off. It, it It is fairly constant. Yeah. Like, the end result, whether he's doing it for profit or not, is that there's a very visible, at one time, extremely popular professional wrestler from the era where professional wrestling was at its peak in North gone, America uh, uh, who is tweeting solidarity uh, with uh, maligned and often abused And this is a guy that's from, the, you know, the American South, which, you yeah. know isn't always as welcoming and who is in the wrestling community which isn't yeah, always welcoming I mean welcoming. listen Chris Canyon we, you know? we all know the, the sad story there um, yeah so his motives may not be 100% pure or philanthropic or uh, from the perspective of being an ally but I think the visibility of him doing that will have a knock on effect of being a good thing in hmm. some ways you know even if he isn't even if it isn't um, and purely and for you know the what? there's been enough that. kind of little tidbits that would have had to come from buff himself that would make me believe that he is definitely involved if not tweeting the stuff out himself yeah i i, I think to some extent i would say he is now like because he's a guy who having been um having been fairly open about the fact that he was it, it since his kind of like the peak of his career faded that he was in mm-hmm. sex work for a while he is somebody who has like you know long been a supporter of of that and i don't recall him you know ever being on the other side of you know tweeting negative things or saying negative things prominently about LGBT people so it's not like a big galloping surprise either mm-hmm. at the same time you know um, but yeah it's a, it's a tough one to see to like with anybody to figure out what the actual motives behind it are but you know the more prominent wrestlers that tweet in support of the LGBT Absolutely. community the better 100% agree yeah right that said he is looking extremely large <laughs> and extremely vascular in this match like those veins are fucking popping out of his arms and his shoulders <laughs> terrifying um good little 
dumb geek heel promo here at the start where he said he, he got his ticket posted through the door yesterday to Winston-Salem. And he said he didn't want to go there any more than he wanted to be paralyzed again. Um, This match, like I think pre-injury Buff versus Booker would have been, could have potentially been something a little bit special. But um, this is mainly, the thing I take away from this is just how ready Booker like again it's something we hit on every episode but Booker is main event oh yeah like um, I do do enjoy they they say that Booker is the number one contender to the US title and kind of bill him as such a couple of times and yeah like we, we've been saying it for months at this point ever since he came back from that um, injury in the late the late fall of 98 he's been ready he's been ready he's yeah. He should have been shot up that fucking ranking, up up that card. Um, yeah, yeah. I mean, this this match is a total nothing. It's all basically just to get to the DQ finish more than anything else. Yeah. Um. Again, Booker looked really crisp. Um. I enjoyed the story of um, Buff being like his cocky self, and then being like, "Holy shit, this guy is good." You know, when Booker starts hitting some of his big moves and you can see the look on his face, like the disbelief. There's like, no, but I'm buff. I'm the stuff. Mm. What the hell? You know, um, he kicks out of a sidekick. Uh, I like that Booker, um, as the smart uh, technician that he is, he's working Buff's neck and his shoulder. Um, it, it, it opened up an opportunity for one them to tell a story in the ring but also for the commentators to put over how Buff has come back and in their estimation he hasn't missed a step and in their estimation uh, he hasn't changed his style or anything like that um, he just keeps on going with his high impact yeah, moves it, and it, things it, like that it, it's interesting that they kind of put him over as being this kind of tough guy that hasn't changed anything in spite of like the awful injury he had um yeah kind of interesting positioning where he's like such a heel on the mic and when he's with Steiner but when he's on his own the commentators will always give him kudos it's such a do you know what I mean were it not for the fact that he's tied up with Steiner like the the rehab and return oh, of Buff is yeah. such a babyface it, story we, I mean we <laughs> said that at the time I mean? they, they should have capitalised on that yeah um so yeah, like you said, there there's not a whole huge amount to say because it's building just the interference. For the, sorry. I, I I said DQ the interference. No, it was a it was clean pin. Oh yeah, it was. Yeah, it was yeah, interference yeah. leading to a finish is what it was. Um I love the forearm smash Booker does as part of his comebacks. Mm-hmm. That always looks really good. Um so he fires up, buff ducks uh, another Harlem sidekick, which hits the ref. Uh, Booker follows Buff to the outside of the ring. Scott runs, runs out, waffles him twice with a chair, um, rolls him back in. Buff blockbuster uh, and a win for Buff. So that builds up um, the the ongoing uh, strife between them. Yeah, it's kind of you can go two ways with, from here. You can have Booker win the US title and he can go after Buff for a match, or you can go after Scott Steiner for a match. Yeah. Um. 
So yeah, that's good. That's good. Giving guys directions to go mm-hmm. after the pay per view rather than having to try figure it all out on the the nitro after. I appreciate. Uh, Lee, that's the end of Thunder episode fifty three. Mercifully, uh, who? What did you think of the show overall? And who are your winners and losers? Um, not an enjoyable show overall. Um, like you said at the beginning, too much talking, way way below par wrestling for the most part um i think i mean i i feel like a fucking parrot every time i say it. anything involving hulk hogan is just fucking it's so bad like between the the, the rick flair david flair stuff feeling very kind of confused hogan's promo is just fucking horrendous um yeah i think saren has just turned into a fucking I hate, I hate to say he's turned into a geek, but he, like, I mean, he really has. Yeah, afterthought. and afterthought is exactly like the perfect way to describe it. From where he was around Fall Brawl time to now, it's unrecognizable. Um, again, kudos. Billy Kidman comes across like such a big deal as Cruiserweight champ. They even put him over that he's now the second longest reigning Cruiserweight champion in the history of WCW, which, which is, is crazy. crazy to think about, but yeah. Um, so yeah, I think Chav or um, Kidman is the one that comes away with the most credit from the show. Mm. Yeah, I I couldn't disagree with that. Um, let's see, what does our finish counter brought to you by Ludwig Borga say? Well, it says there was six matches on this show. Four clean finishes, one DQ or count out, one interference leading to a finish. Um thank you all very much for listening to another episode of days of thunder we'll be back in two weeks uh with the go home show for uncensored 99 until then uh stay safe have a nice time we'll talk to you then bye bye thanks everyone for listening to another episode of days of thunder days of thunder was produced by lee malone and edited by me dave ryan keep up to date with the show and find all the ways to listen to us you can follow us on twitter at wcw thunderpod or click the link tree link in our twitter bio or in the show notes I am at the day to Dave on Twitter and Lee is at Malone underscore 713. Days of Thunder is a part of the Voices of Wrestling podcast network. Follow the VOW network anywhere. Good podcasts are sold for more fine podcasts than you can shake a stick at. Thanks. Can you hear the thunder?